0: Welcome to another episode of Tequila She Wrote. A podcast about cocktails and true crime. I'm Trish, your bartender today. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender for today.
1: And today we're doing Christina... Christine Falling. Christine Falling, okay. Um, all Sloane has given me is Florida woman, who is a babysitter. So, trigger warning: small children involved. But, um, I have not heard of her.
0: I did not either until I stumbled across this. So, So. we will have fun uncovering this together. You're definitely going to want a cocktail. (laughs) Oh, God.
1: I don't have one. We've had so much moonshine, okay?
0: (laughs) Buckle up for the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot. Beep beep. Beep.
1: welcome back to another round of cocktails with your bartender Trish. And as we said, we are doing a little series on different moonshines. And so to kind of finish out this week of it, we are going to be focusing on Sugarland Distillery, which is out of Tennessee. I believe it started in Gallenberg, but don't quote me on that. I do know it was made in Tennessee first and it's got a few different places but Gatlinburg is where we discovered it yep and the one I'm going to be focusing on is a favorite of mine it is the banana pudding sipping cream one and it is if you like banana pudding it is so good (laughs) so good. Sloan doesn't really care for banana, like, putting, like, banana flavoring, like, things. I don't like
0: bananas. I like banana bread. That's about mm-hmm. it. But I'm also not going to turn down a shot.
1: So, so it's alright. She'll do a small portion of it, but, like, I'm the one that does the full shots of it. Like, oh, it's so good. Um... But this one is, like I said, it's a sipping cream. So it's one that if you buy a jar, you definitely have to, once you open it, you have to refrigerate it. Because it will not keep if you just leave it sitting out. But the way Sugarland describes it, it's a 40 proof moonshine. It honors the classic southern dessert bursting with flavors of banana, vanilla wafers, and whipped cream. And a sweet pudding. The cream liqueur offers a deep, rich taste paired with ultra-smooth finish sure to satisfy the banana lover and everyone. I, like I said, I definitely love this one. I don't think it's as sweet as they try to make it sound to be. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it is definitely, like, if you're going for like a straight moonshine compared to this, yes, it's sweeter like most of your sipping creams are. But it is so good. As I'm looking at the recipes that they suggest, there are so many that I want to try. So you might see some recipes with this because, whew. Well,
0: and so earlier this week, we mentioned Murder Creek moonshine, which is closer to us to go visit. And whenever he did the banana pudding there, he mixed it with, like, the chocolate moonshine. So I could really see myself liking this banana pudding with one of our, like, chocolate coffee moonshines that we have as well. I think that would be phenomenal. I would want just the barest amount of banana pudding. But if you like this stuff,
1: then balls to the
0: wall, man, for you.
1: They have, like, a banana Foster's pudding shots, which we've recently discovered like pudding shots and oh <laughs> can't
0: wait to bring you my great ideas so
1: i'm definitely excited to like look into some of these and see how they turn out some of them i'm not going to be able to do because they involve some of the other moonshines from them that i do not own and i cannot find in alabama i can only find if i go back to no. Sugarland which
0: um but Mama Ivy just signed a bill well she signed it like last year but it's finally gone into effect is what our officer bar friend told me so we are supposedly able to order alcohol to our front doors now so if that is the case then we can order these other moonshines and make this shit happen but if dangerous. not but if not then we still live in you know prohibition south <laughs>
1: I'll just go myself and bring it back.
0: Don't give me a reason to go on vacation. <laughs> I'll take it. But if you.
1: This is one that. I feel like Sugarland Distributes out to like package stores. And liquor stores and that. So it's one that I feel like most people. Should be able to find. Mm-hmm. So if you do see it in store. I definitely suggest you gain it. Because like I said. It is a nice like. It's literally called a sipping cream. It's one that you—they don't really say that you need to mix it with stuff, but you can. But on its own, it stands so well.
0: I really like to use the sipping creams as coffee creamer. Yes. <laughs> so, like, I—if you like banana, I think that that would be a good option here too. Iced coffee, hot yeah. coffee, whatever. So,
1: definitely, highly suggest you gain this one if you are a banana pudding fan. It. Oh, It will change your life. And with that being said. We will kick you off to the case.
0: Alright. So today I am bringing you the story. Of Christine Laverne Slaughter. She was the youngest child. In an unusual family. Would be the nicest way to put it. She was born on March 12th. 1963. In Perry Florida. Which is kind of in northern Florida. It, But it's. Past Tallahassee from us. Okay. So, not like Panhandle, but still Northern Florida. Yeah. Christine was described by most as a dull witted young lady, young woman, and obese. Her father, Thomas, was 65 years old at the time of her birth, while her mother, Anne, was 16. Okay. So she was still a fucking minor impregnated by someone who could be her grandpa. And this was their second child together. If that doesn't make him a shitty man, he ended up running out on his family soon after Christine was born. Yeah. Yeah. So, the Slaughter family lived below the poverty poverty line, and Christine did not receive the necessary early childhood support that she needed. She was severely developmentally disabled. She was, like I said, prone to obes- obesity. She was epileptic, and she experienced bouts of expre- of aggressive behavior, and throughout her life was never able to surpass a sixth grade level of vocabulary skills. So... Once again, this is one of those cases where it seems like the system has just failed this person, this woman. Anne ended up putting her two daughters up for adoption to the Falling family. Dolly and Jeffrey Falling were cousins on Thomas's side of the family, so their dad. So this is still blood family that they're going to. But not long afterwards, the two girls found themselves in a children's home because of their constant conflicts with with their adoptive parents. So the way that it was put out into media is that Christine was very argumentative with her adoptive parents. But what court records show is that Jeffrey Falling was actually arrested twice for molesting Carol Falling. The first time the jury acquitted him, and the second time Dolly, his wife, dropped the charges, expecting the outcome to be the same, and she didn't want to put Carol through yet another trial. So Christine compensated for her in- insecurities and pent up anger by killing small animals, especially domestic cats. I'm sorry, Trish, mm-hmm. at an early age. In 1973, both girls were sent to a group home after Dolly found Christine torturing a neighborhood cat. Christine later attempted to justify her actions by claiming she was testing out that the cats have nine lives theory.
1: The poor kitty.
0: Kitties. This was a repetitive behavior. Yeah. She would even cause animals to fall from heights as a test to see if they could survive.
1: Meanwhile, my cat at my parents' house fell out of freaking high tree and I was like picturing every ounce of his life just like flashing before my eyes because that is my baby. <laughs> I raised him from like formula to like now and I'm like, oh my god, he's gonna die in front of my eyes. But he
0: didn't. He survived. He survived. He's he good. scared
1: himself when he landed.
0: Probably more than he scared his mama. <laughs> So, by the time that Christine entered the children's home, she already had a striking propensity for bizarre and violent behavior. Christine left the children's home at the age of 12. Encounters at the group home said Christine was manipulative, a thief, a compulsive liar, and, quote, a child who would break rules to gain attention, end quote. Her relationships with the other children in the refuge were horrific. The other children were often cruel to her because of her poor social skills, her intellectual deficits, and, of course, her obesity. And as we all know, children are fucking mean. Yeah. Mean. I'm sure we all have memories of being bullied bullied as a kid. And if you don't, you're probably the bully. I had a high school girl message me on Instagram. And she was like, hey... I don't remember what I did to you, but I know that we had issues in high school. So I just wanted to apologize. And I'm like, meanwhile, you were the girl who literally made high school living hell for me. Right. And yet you don't remember any of it, any of it. So if you weren't bullied, chances are you were probably the bully. And if you're taking offense to this conversation, then (laughs) (laughs) All right. when Christine left the children's home, she set out to find her birth mom, and she eventually found her in Blountstown, Florida. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you, because I kept typing it, so I'm going to say it. I keep thinking it says Blountstown, and we all (laughs) know why I think that. Yes. But it's Blountstown. Now that that's out of the way. I might still be mispronouncing it too, but it's spelled like Blountstown. Anyways, in September of 1977, 14 year old Christine was forced by her mom to marry 20 year old Goober Falling. Yes, Goober was his actual name. And yes, he has the same name, the same last name as her adoptive family. Some reports that I read said that he was her stepbrother. Some said he was her uncle. Some said the stepdad. And some said that he was just some random local man that she met when she moved in with her mom. So it's unclear, but we do know that her dad's family's last name is falling. She moved back to one of her like hometowns where her parents were from sort of situation. So it's not far fetched to believe that they are actually related whether they knew it or not. But Regardless, whether they were related or not, if they weren't, it's very coincidental. The marriage ended in divorce after six long weeks of quarrels and violent altercations. The final straw was when Christine picked up a 25-pound stereo and dropped it on Goober while he was asleep. Okay. Yeah. Before we feel horrible for Goober, though, there are hospital records of Christine going to the emergency room, two different times in their six week marriage for injuries sustained during their fights. So whether like she was the one instigating it or he was, she still ended up in the hospital and there were no like records that he was severely hurt enough that he needed to go to the hospital. To me, this kind of reminds me of the whole like Johnny Depp, Amber Heard thing. Like (laughs) they just seem like they're very toxic together. Like I don't, There wasn't really much about Goober outside of all of these, all of this six week marriage. But we do know that she is very toxic. So maybe he was very toxic too. And then the two toxic people came together and had a very explosive marriage. Yeah, That's what it seems like to me. After the marriage, Christina became somewhat of a hypochondriac. She was hospitalized at least 50 times within like a year or two after the divorce, but doctors were unable to find any treatable conditions. She suffered, she claimed that she suffered from hallucinations. She complained of these red dots that would appear before her eyes. She, her periods were like really irregular and horrific. And she said that like she would just, you know, bleed abnormally and it was traumatic to her. Is what she was saying, and she also complained that she had snake bites too. So, some suspected Christine was developing Munchausen syndrome, which is something completely interesting
1: on yeah. its own,
0: but it is completely different from hypochondria. Hypochondriac, hypochondria.
1: Yeah, Munchausen's when you like basically invent these uh, illnesses on somebody you're like looking after.
0: No, it's whenever you develop them on yourself to get more attention from medical people, whenever you do it on other people, it's Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Okay. So like Gypsy Rose, her mom was by proxy because she was putting the illness off on her daughter and getting the attention that way. If she would have been putting herself in the hospital, then it would have been Munchausen syndrome, point blank, period. That's my understanding of those two things. If I'm wrong, let me know. I love to learn things. At the age of 16, Christine was diagnosed as incapacitated with specific medical instructions. So, like, she's actually mentally challenged and slow and... She can't really, like, survive on her own sort of situation. To make money, Christine began working as a babysitter for neighbors and friends, and she found her niche babysitting since she was very childlike herself, and parents and family trusted her to take care of their children. On February 25th, 1980, Christine was asked by neighbors to babysit two-year-old Cassidy Johnson, who she had babysat several times previously before this night. On that night, though, things would not end with her getting paid and sent home as normal. When Cassidy's parents came home, Christine told them Cassidy had gotten sick suddenly and then fallen out of her crib and hit her head. Cassidy had got uh, her parents rushed the toddler to the ER. Cassidy passed away three days later on February 28th, 1980, with her cause of death listed as insane. encephalitis, encephalitis, but it's an inflammation of the brain. One doctor listed Cassidy's death as natural causes after the autopsy, but a second doctor disagreed and passed his suspicions on to police that Christine had hurt the child resulting in the death. Police interviewed Christine about the child's sudden illness and fall, and her story didn't change much. And so, like, if you're a crime junkie, if you're familiar with these things, you know that typically whenever people are telling the truth, your story tends to change up a little bit, telling by telling. But whenever you are telling a false story, you really hold on to and solidify all of the details. Yeah. And you make sure that you repeat all of the same details over and over again. Either that or your story is changing completely like off the wall. But -hmm. with Christine, it was every time she retold the story, it was the same exact details over and over and over again, verbatim, which sent up a huge red flag for the detectives. There was no evidence of foul play, however, just one doctor's suspicions and the suspicions of the cops. And so Christine was released. Shortly after Cassidy Johnson passed away, Christine moved to Lakeland, Florida two months later in the early summer of 1980 Christine placed another 911 or she placed a 911 call and told the operator that a four-year-old in her care had stopped breathing suddenly. Paramedics rushed to the scene, but Jeffrey Davis was pronounced dead at the hospital. His autopsy pointed to myocarditis carditis card it is. I don't know. Which is a heart condition, and it's rarely fatal, but that was listed as his cause of death. Three days later, Christine was babysitting Joseph Spring, who was Jeffrey Davis's two-year-old cousin during the funeral. Christine called 911 again and told the operator that Joseph wasn't breathing and she could not wake him up from his nap. An autopsy later determined that his death was due to a viral infection, And doctors began to hypothesize that this viral infection could have also been the cause of death for Jeffrey as well. In July of 1981, Christine left Lakeland and returned to her hometown of Perry in northern Florida. Because of her growing reputation, few families wanted Christine to take care of their children. Understandably so. So she began working as a nursing assistant slash housekeeper for senior citizens. This is going in a great direction, I was right?
1: going to say, this is going from, like, bad doors.
0: Mm-hmm. Christine took a job keeping house for 77-year-old William Swindle. The day that she began working for him, William was found collapsed and unresponsive on his kitchen floor. He was rushed to the hospital where he was pronounced dead and an autopsy was was not done, and his cause of death was listed as a heart attack. Yeah. Just a few weeks after Williams died, Christine accompanied her stepsister to the doctor. Her stepsister's infant daughter was due for her vaccinations. They stopped afterwards at a store to get diapers, and Christine offered to stay in the car with the eight-month-old baby. When her, ses- when her stepsister came out, Christine told her the little girl had suddenly stopped breathing. And by the time that they got her to the emergency room, she was pronounced dead. Her death was initially thought to be a reaction to her vaccinations. Shortly after came the death of nine-week-old Travis Cook. On June 20th, 1982, Christine was babysitting the then nine-week-old boy when he suddenly experienced respiratory distress. He spent a week in the hospital returning home on July 1st of 1982. The next day, Christine was babysitting, now 10-week-old Travis, when according to her, he just suddenly died. (laughs) Not suspicious at all. The emergency room doctors weren't taken in by Christine's tearful explanation of Travis's death and ordered an autopsy immediately. At the autopsy, the doctors found internal injuries that only could have been caused by suffocation. At this point, they called in the police, and police immediately arrested Christine for child abuse and neglect. Fucking finally.
1: You're right.
0: Once in custody, Christina began confessing to her crimes, and in an effort to avoid the death penalty, she confessed to five murders and told police that she heard voices that told her to, quote, kill the baby, end quote, each time. She told them that she had seen a TV program that involved smothering and she'd used smotheration to kill her victims. Her term, not mine. She'd placed a blanket over their mouths and she would press down until they finally would stop moving. Quote, The way I done it, I seen it done on TV show. I had my way though. Simple and easy. No one would hear them scream, end quote. That literally makes me want to like throw up in my mouth a little bit. Sometimes she claimed the children made her mad and sometimes she said the urge just would overcome her and the voices told her to do it. So she would to get the voices to stop. Christina fall, Christine falling, pled guilty to three of the murders and she was sentenced to life in prison on December 19, December of 1982. And her confession prevented her from getting the death penalty after serving 25 years in prison, Christine was eligible for parole. Her application was rejected by the parole review board in November 2017, and no one supporting Christine showed up to her parole hearing. She will be giving another hear- She will be given another hearing later this year, 2022. But in the meantime, Christine is imprisoned at the Homestead Correctional Institution in Homestead, Florida. And also, just like an interesting little side note that I found, is that during her time in prison, Christine's doctors rejected her claims that she heard voices, but she returned to her old habit of going to the medical bay for mystery illnesses and <laughs> non-specific symptoms. She does not have an official diagnosis diagnosis of Munchausen syndrome, but at the time of her application for parole, a doctor did mention they thought she had it and therefore posed a risk to the public. So, Hopefully, she is not getting out of jail any time in her lifetime. And if she does, I, like, sincerely hope that she gets or has gotten the help that she needs to become an actual, like, law-abiding citizen to this country sort of situation. It's one of those, like, catch-22s where she had a really unfortunate childhood. And if she would have been born into a better family who had the resources to, like... Get her the help that she needed. She might not have ended up. In the place that she's ended up. Yeah. But because she was born to. A woman who was taken advantage of. By an old ass white man. (laughs) And left her high and dry. To raise two children. Whenever she wasn't even 18 years old. Christine never stood a chance. In my opinion. And that really sucks. And so like. Do I fault her? absolutely she did things that you know even a kindergartner knows is wrong but at the end of the day like she also was not given the help and the treatment that she needed before she was in prison and that is a big shame and a big like sore spot in our society yes so that is my story for today i hope y'all enjoyed it and we'll kick you off to the last call All right.
1: Welcome back to another Last Call with Trish, your bartender today. And today I'm going to get a little uh, nostalgic slash um, I now feel old. So I'm going to make everybody else feel old. Are we going to talk about (laughs) Lisa Frank? No. Furbies. I mean, Furbies (laughs) do get brought up.
0: I was just guessing. (laughs) That was a good guess. Right.
1: This is 28 facts that will overwhelm you With 1990s nostalgia,
0: all right, let's do it. So, 91
1: baby, here (laughs) I'm 88, so I'm like the tail end of the 80s, and then like I was,
0: but you were all of
1: the 90s, you were conscious for the 90s,
0: I was only conscious for the second half. So, in
1: 1999, a gallon of gas was a dollar 22.
0: Take me back, okay, so. Pause. Funny story. <laughs> on our Patreon recently, we did a uh, case on the Bermuda Triangle and we talked about the hurricanes there. But when Hurricane Katrina, I lived in Mississippi, in Jackson, Mississippi. The eye passed like right over us. We talk about it in detail on Patreon. If you're interested, subscribe. We would love to have you over there. But I remember this one gas station that's right in front of my neighborhood. And they either misput up the sign or the sign fell off. And the gas sign said that it was 99 cents a gallon after Katrina hit. <laughs> that gas station had lines I'm sure. for hours. For hours. And it was just one day. So I'm sure that the thing just like flew off the sign. And they then had to sell it for that price. Yeah. They didn't really have time to get out there and fix it. But I will never forget. Everywhere else. I mean they were jacking up the prices. It was before price gouging was really like controlled. Yes. And so I remember places. Some places were like 6 $8 a gallon for for gas. Yeah. After Katrina hit. And this one gas station. 99 cents a gallon. Yeah. They lost so much money yeah, probably yeah oh for sure so
1: the thing the little like expanded thing after the twenty two says throughout the 1990s gas prices remained around $1.30 a gallon which like I said take me back because now we're looking at like here, it's usually a little cheaper just because we are closer to, like, the oil field, so
0: you don't have to account for, like, transportation and stuff like that. Well, and so, we're right at the intersection of interstates, too, and I feel like the yeah. closer you are to interstates, it-, it just... Yes, we will
1: see some high spikes, but for the most part, we stick we stick fairly low compared to other places. Yeah. But, um, yes, I do remember when I first, like, kind of started driving, when you saw, like... A dollar eighty a gallon. You are like this is some bullshit, <laughs> and now we're like, oh, you are under two dollars. Hot damn! Right now, I
0: am like, oh, you are under four. Yeah, yes. Fill up, uh, but yeah. I
1: definitely do remember growing up and my parents going to places and gas was like under a dollar, and that's just it's crazy that mm-hmm. how much inflation. Yeah. has changed. Uh, number two, the Macarena was so po- so popular that even Colin Powell busted a move. <laughs> in 2002, VH1 dubbed Macarena the greatest one-hit wonder of all time, mostly because it's impossible to escape the song no matter where you are. During the height of its popularity in the 90s, the former U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell, Powell busted a few of his own Macarena moves at a public event in the Hamptons. Oh, the Macarena. Hey, Macarena. I you can do it with any song. Um, number 3, 95 million Americans watched the O.J. Simpson verdict on television. <sighs> This was in 95. Like, I was literally a kindergartner. So, like, I was not one of those 95 million. I don't remember if my parents were.
0: I imagine my mom was. She's nosy like I am. Yeah. I figure
1: my mom's nosy, too. But, like, I just don't remember it. But also.
0: They did try to, like, shelter me from things at that point. Like, my parents were still together at that point. (laughs)
1: So, I'd have to ask my mom if she watched that. But me and my sister, Becky, are definitely the crime junkies of the family. So Shout out, no. Becky. <laughs> so, it's so funny. My sister's partner is always like, she's always watching. Like, I almost got away with it and that. And I'm afraid I'm going to go missing one of these days. And I was like, then don't fuck up. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, Christy. <laughs> If you don't fuck
0: up, you ain't got nothing to worry about, in my opinion. Yeah, Nathaniel.
1: <laughs> uh, number four to go online, you had to use dial-up or Netscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, AOL was the thing. Yes. Just listening to the. <laughs> my screen name was Care ninety one bears. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly do not remember what mine was, but, oh. Uh.
0: I mean, I had several, but that was my main one. Care 91 Bears. Do you remember saying that? Please names? let us know your most embarrassing screen name <laughs> on our socials. I, I want to hear them. I let you know mine. It's only it's only fair. said I honestly don't remember mine. Number five,
1: 61 million people were using pagers in 1994. I was too young for pagers, but I do remember my mom had one. I remember my mom
0: having one for sure, and I remember. Did getting, I ever use it? No. <laughs> and I remember getting the brick Nokia when I was yes. in fifth grade.
1: My mom had one of the friggin' brick phones. Yes, I remember it.
0: Like two thousand one, two thousand two, or something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. The nineteen ninety
1: three Cheers series finale was the most watched television episode of the decade i never really got into cheers but then again that was also i was too young when it first came out so that's understandable
0: but friends was our cheers i was about to say i'm like kind of shocked but also cheers brought in multiple generations yeah and friends at the time was like also friends for- was like
1: late 90s early 2000s yeah so this is going with the 90s
0: right but like you know Cheers hit multiple generations yeah. like the older to the younger whereas Friends was like aimed towards the younger generations so like I grew up watching it with my mom but like her mom would have hated it oh. but her mom would have sat there and watched Cheers Love. with us and it would have been like a three generation thing yeah
1: Love me some friends,
0: okay? Anytime
1: we move and it's like you're not going to like... Pivot! Yes! Whenever you're not moving to like a straight like head on like into... Pivot! Pivot! (laughs) Shut up! (laughs) I love that scene so much. Oh, it's so great. Uh, So number seven, the Backstreet Boys were the best-selling artists in '99. I believe it. Yeah. That was the...
0: Millennium. Millennium album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was such a great tour. That was my first concert ever. <laughs> I never got it to was... go see either Backstreet or Sync. I saw them both. That was one of the great parts of having a divorced parent. So they like <laughs> they fight to get you the best of things. Yeah. Uh. But I went to Backstreet Boys, saw them in New Orleans, saw them at the Superdome. Freaking phenomenal. I remember Burger King as one of their Happy Meal, like one of their yeah, kid meals. They did the the DVD. And they recorded part of that at the Superdome. Nice. And it was awesome. What pissed me off though is that it was my Christmas present, and I got four tickets from my dad. So it was me. That's one ticket. My mom as the chaperone, that's two tickets. And granted, yes, I was in second grade. I was in second grade. But I wanted to take some of my friends, right? Like it was my present. I should have taken some of my friends. No. My mom took one of her friends because she was like, I'm not taking three kids and watching them by myself. Not doing that. So that's three tickets. That leaves one more ticket. The last ticket my mom made me take my little brother with us who slept through the whole damn concert that's a waste of a ticket a waste of a ticket i still every christmas i yell about this at family christmases (laughs) clearly Uh. number eight aladdin was the best-selling
1: vhs tape not Little Mermaid?
0: Yeah. Well, Little Mermaid came out in say, the late 80s, yeah. so it would have divvied up the sale. Okay. I
1: did love me some Aladdin. I will say that. Although, I think we've talked about before, Lion King was my shit. Arabian Nights. Lion King was my favorite. I, like I said, I did love Aladdin. Robin Williams as the genie iconic.
0: Right. But Aladdin came out like ninety four, ninety five, I think. And Something Lion like came that. out Lion King came out like the end of the nineties. So once yeah. again that split up the cells for the Not decade. The end of the nineties. It was it was like ninety seven, ninety-eight. I don't think no. so because I was in How kin- did Lion King out not outsell Aladdin? I don't
1: know, because I was going into kindergarten when it was like at one of its peaks and that was ninety five. How did Lion King not outsell Aladdin? I don't know. It makes no sense, but whatever. <laughs> Number nine, we're getting into your Furbies. All right. Those the Creepers. Right. The NSA thought Furbies were a security threat. And I remember <laughs> this.
0: I still think they're a security threat. Right. <laughs>
1: So the NSA declared the Furby an international threat and actually banned people from carrying them. According to CBS News, they were trying to prevent the Chinese government from installing secret listening devices into the Furbies and that they were manufacturing at the time. All right. I do remember this. I remember people being like, don't get a Furby. They're listening to you. You cannot take your Furby anywhere. And I was just like, I didn't want it. I was given this. And now I just like, I'm trying to let the batteries die. Okay. <laughs> I think. And we... now we have Alexa. Yes. Uh, number 10, over 76 million Tamagotchis were sold. I was a Tamagotchi and like gigapet, like fanatic. I had them. I remember when they were like in their height. I happened to, like, break my arm one of the four times. And so during, like, gym in elementary, I had to sit out because we were doing dodgeball or something. So I couldn't do it because my arm was in a cast. They didn't want me to fall and hurt myself even more. (laughs) So I had to sit out. And everybody was giving me their freaking Tamagotchi in that. And Mm -hmm. then when they banned them from schools, I remember leaving them with my mom and being like, me and my sister being like, all right, mom, you got to feed it. You got (laughs) to clean up after it. And and she was like, what the hell? This is why they banned (laughs) this shit. I remember these so vividly and I loved them. I would totally do it again if they re like, I think they've come out with them again, but Mm -hmm. not so popular.
0: They were. They re-release them, like, every few years. Uh, they're great.
1: Number 11, the Ford Taurus was the best-selling car in the 90s, which is why if you, like, do these earlier crimes, like, 90s, 80s, you see, like, the Ford Taurus or, like, stuff like that as, like, the main cars, and they were like, that's really not a helpful descriptor. It's because everybody was driving those damn cars. And they were always made with the most, like, nondescript paints. Number 12, the Sony PlayStation, was the most popular console. This was the original PlayStation, which my family never progressed past a Sega. So, like, anytime I wanted to play, like, other gaming consoles, I had to go my friends. And I know one of them had a PlayStation... One had the Nintendo 64. I remember that. I don't remember if anybody ever got anything, like, kind of after that. It wasn't until, like, I was able to buy this shit on my own that, like, I got the Switch and stuff like that. Logan has the PlayStation 4, I believe. She's the 3 or the 4? I have the 3. I think Logan has the 4. Yeah. So, like, I'm whenever anybody's like, Yeah, I'm such a gamer, I've had all these. I was like, My family never progressed past Sega. So, <laughs> if it was like Atari or Nintendo or Sega, I got you. Anything past that, I had to rely on my friends. Okay. <laughs> and then there's my nephews. They had the Wii, they have like their PlayStation. I'm pretty sure they have the Switch. I'm like, Jeez. You guys don't even know what it was like. <laughs> uh, the Nintendo Game Boy was the most popular portable console. We did have a Game Boy. I remember playing Paperboy on it and that. I had... The Game Boy was kind of like a joint thing with my siblings, but it was mainly my one brother's. And then when Game Boy Color came out, I remember I got one. And I had the Pokemon. I had the pink one. Or purple. I think purple. I had red. I want to say I had the red one. I don't know, but I do remember. I That was our first addiction to, like, basically a cell phone-esque system. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to skip, because there's some on here that I'm like, eh. The Nokia was... The most popular cell phone. I don't think I ever had Nokia. But I do remember I had like the flip phone from it. And like everybody was like. Oh my god you have a flip phone. (laughs) Now we're like. Oh my god you had a flip phone. (laughs) (laughs) Light Bright was the best selling game in 91. I definitely had a Light Bright. But it always baffles me. When they're like it was a game. I was like. How is this a game? This was literally you either had a stenciled out thing that you put little pegs in, or you just create your own. And if you ran out of like unpoked paper, you had to either be like, Well, how well does it show if I fill it up with other stuff? or, um, if I just do this random ass paper, will it be the same effect? Yeah, no. <laughs> Also, stepping on the light bright pegs was never fun. Uh Uh-uh. Horse in a Lego. Yeah. Uh, Fruit roll-ups were the most popular snack. I remember the little tattoo fruit roll-ups. Everybody was sitting there sticking Mm -hmm. these friggin' things on their arm and and, then eating
0: them. Not sanitary. I did not do it on my arm. I tattooed my tongue.
1: Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I remember people doing stuff and it's like, this is not sanitary. Uh Barbie Barbie Dreamhouse was the best-selling toy of 99. I never had Barbie Barbie Dreamhouse. By the time my parents got to me, they were just like, you can just rely on your friends. <laughs> the minimum wage was 4.25 was throughout most of the decade, the minimum wage was for jobs without the option of tips was 4.25. So it's important to remember again that the overall cost of living was much lower. For example, the average family income in '95 was $40,611, while in 2016 it was $72,707. The national minimum wage is now, at the time of this article at least, is currently set at $725. And reminder, for the most part, your servers are making $2.13. Yep. So, yes, well below <laughs> what is the national minimum wage. Uh, Starbucks was the fastest growing chain. I do remember when Starbucks was its own like little startup thing. Jenny... Really uh, ruined that for me. <laughs> I blame her for my coffee addiction. <laughs> um, Super Soaker was the best-selling holiday toy. Doom was the most installed piece of software on computers. My brothers were really into Doom. It scared me. And it's still like one of those like anxiety-ridden games for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, a 90s survey found that more children recognized Mario than Mickey Mouse. Not shocking. Slap bracelets were invented by a high school shop teacher. Slap bracelets. Those just It's so funny people bringing those up on TikTok. Because it's either wholesome or people turn them very dirty very yeah. quick. <laughs> Vanilla's. Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby was originally a B-side. Which, if you don't know what that means, you just need to tune out now. Because, (laughs) God, that just makes me feel old. So, perhaps one of the most popular songs of the decade was actually a B-side on rapper Vanilla Ice's cover of Play That Funky Music. Which wasn't well received by critics at the time of its release in 1989. The rapper decided... The rapper didn't receive international acclaim until a disc jockey in Florida accidentally played the song instead of play that funky music and it was well regarded by listeners. So that doesn't describe anything of what like B-side means. So B-side was literally when you had a cassette tape and you had one side that played like a certain thing and then if you flipped it after it played through, it would play the other side of the tape and it was more content. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that it played they flipped it basically just meant that the wrong song was played but yet what was supposed to just basically be what now we refer to as bonus tracks on like a CD yeah, ended up being his hit. And the last one I'm going to cover is the thigh master and Mood Ring were invented by the same person. Interesting. <laughs> right? Inventor of both of these items is Josh Reynolds, who first advertised Mood Rings as, so they were advertised as portable biofeed aids and was able to become a millionaire off of this invention and two incredibly popular fads. Thy masters were everywhere. Suzanne Summers. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, those are my little nostalgia facts. It just it was a little crazy. So I was like, ah, why not? I feel old now. So I'll make everybody else feel old. I always like going back to the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> but we will kick you off until the next episode. Hope you enjoyed. <laughs> If you like what you're hearing, you can catch us every Tuesday and Friday. If you want recipe cards or like just kind of see like pictures based off these cases, you can check us out on all of our social medias. It's Tequila She Wrote. And then if you have any case suggestions, last call, cocktails, anything like that, you just want to say hello. Send, you can send us an email at tequila she wrote at gmail.com.
0: We also have our Patreon up and running, so you can subscribe for as little as $2 a month. And with that, you will get ad free episodes, one bonus episode a month. And then from there, we have tiers, so the more you pay, the more you get back from us. We have a bonus Ruining Paradise episode every month, a bonus Haunted episode. If you have anything, any recommendations of something that you would like to pay for to see over there, feel free to let us know. We're open for growth. We're open for improvement. And we are here to have a great fucking time. But we also want to make sure that you're having a great time while you're you're here with us, too. So on that note, we'll leave you be for today and we'll see you next time. Thanks for riding on the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot. Beep beep. (laughs)